I am honestly like I am an open book when it comes to mental health, fitness, feelings, what like all that stuff. Like I, I don't, I don't, wouldn't fancy myself a masochist per se, but like understanding why people feel what they feel and like talking through the processes is fascinating to me. Yeah. And so I do like, I'm, I'm happy to talk about all of it. Excellent. Okay. So hello friends. Here we are again for another episode, episode seven. My favorite number is number seven. Um, and I got one of my favorite people with me. <laughs> Hello. Um, so it's Maria. Hello, Maria. How are you? Uh, I'm well. How are you? I'm getting there. I'm better than I've been the last few weeks. So good. That's that's a plus. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. I've I have started back on my fitness and my good eating. So I do feel I'm sort of three days back into it, and I do feel mm-hmm. it's weird how it's just three days. Um, yesterday and the day before I felt very lightheaded and very sort of like my stomach felt sick but I'm pretty sure that is the sugar withdrawal you know that'll do it that'll do it yeah like when you start to change your your eating habits and whatnot um, even if it's for the better right you start cutting things out that you know might be a bit much it's just your body goes I'm sorry what are we doing now Mm. this is unacceptable Mm. And it's, it's weird how quickly the body will tell you that, you know, yeah. you've been putting a lot of shit in your body. And I can imagine it's exactly the same if you were withdrawal from drugs or drink or any of those kind of drugs in yeah. quotation marks that your body, first of all, starts saying, look, you know, this, this is going to feel shit for a while. So you need to just get used to it, get through it. And I've done it before. I mean, I started doing this fitness thing 530 odd days ago. The first week was really rough because I've been yeah. eating so much crap. And this week has been the same. I've literally just been eating like overnight oats, fruit, veg, and just no sugar at all whatsoever. So it, it you know, you know. Yeah. So tell everybody what it is that you do. Cause that, and I was, gonna, I was, gonna, I've got to be careful what I say. I've been seeing photos of you in all kinds of different positions. <laughs> And that's going to come over as very, very pervy from well, my Well, I can end. put my leg over my shoulder. <laughs> yes. uh, I've seen those photos. <laughs> so I, um, so what I, my main job, I suppose, is I am a yoga instructor. Uh, I've been teaching for, it'll be nine years in March. Uh, and most recently, I've also added to my repertoire, personal training, strength and conditioning training, um, a bit of nutrition is, you know, I've got those certifications as well. I don't create meal plans, but it's more of just like general guidance on how, how to choose foods. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of where I am now. Um, prior to that, I used to work in pharmacy and, uh, I was a technician. So I was a pharmacist and I was also a Spanish translator and, uh, interpreter, um, And gosh, even before that, I used to work in construction. So I've done pretty much so many different things. (laughs) So this is the same question that I asked uh, um, when we had the psychotherapist on. It's like, so you're you're dishing out advice and and dishing out sort of what to do and what not to do. What do Mm. you do when you're not in a particularly good headspace? It's, uh, it's hard. Um, if I'm not in a good headspace, when I would teach in-person classes, 
I would tell them and I would be perfectly frank with them. I am, you know, not to get too in the weeds, but there is in yoga in particular, a lot of what's called spiritual bypassing, um, which is, has been a pretty popular phrase of late. Um, but what it means is that like, oh, we don't, if you're feeling bad things, we just ignore those. And like, that's just you not leveling up or whatever. And it's like, no, all feelings are valid. And, you know, we should not ignore the negative. And so if I'm having a particularly bad day, um, I will, I'll open up as much as I'm comfortable with a room full of my students and I, you know, we'll, we'll just go through it. And I find that that that's twofold. It, it allows me to have a little bit of release of those things. And it also lets them know that they are valid in how they feel. And it creates a quote unquote safe space for them to allow themselves to feel if they don't feel like they can elsewhere. Okay. So with something like yoga, now from mm -hmm. somebody that has never done one second of yoga in my life, okay, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I know that there's a downward dog or something, you know, the, uh, there's something like that, the lotus position, I'm assuming is something like that. Yep. Do you have to be spiritual to sort of get to to get the full amount out of something like yoga? Because again, I'm not spiritual as well. I'm not religious. I don't. Yeah. I'm not spiritual. I'm completely closed off when it comes to things like that. Do you mm. would do you not get the full amount out of yoga if you're not open up to those kind of things? I don't think you don't. Um, so I'm also not. Mm, I'm not religious. Uh, I. <laughs> I was forced, I should say, and forced is a strong word. I mean, I, I was not an adult, so I was, you know, my mom was still making decisions for me and she felt that the right decision for me when I was younger was to put me in Catholic school. Right. Okay. And so, <laughs> I mean, I guess that kind of helped me decide what I don't like. Yeah. Um, but I, I appreciate the intention um, behind, like, for example, with yoga, I, it's, it is not specifically a religion, but it is adjacent to Hinduism, Jainism, um, Buddhism, and stuff like that. And you can see the interweavings when it comes to the, what's called the eight limbs of yoga, because it's not just the physical, it is meditation, breath work, it's an entire lifestyle, if you like. And, and um, it's there, but it doesn't mean you have to do it. And that doesn't mean that you would not reap any sort of benefits from it by not partaking in the spiritual. I think spirit can be a lot of things and it doesn't have to be specifically attached to religion. Um, we all have spirit. We all have self. Uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be attached to something that is some sort of large religious practice. It mm. can just be you out on a walk, right? It can be you out connecting with people. It can be any of those things without a specific structure that you go to each time to then go, right, then I'm going to be spiritual now and whatever. Okay. Because um, the, the things like obviously getting fit and, and doing fitness is, is too, for me, I wouldn't class yoga as something like that. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I feel like getting some weights or 
um, hitting a punch bag or something is something that you're going to get yoga, uh, going to get sort of benefit from fitness wise. But then I see that a lot of people that say they do yoga, they are absolutely knackered by the end of doing yoga because it takes so much out of you. So, mm-hmm. so is that because it's more, it's a, not just a physical thing, but it's a mental thing as well. I think so. It, there is, so there is, um, the physical aspect to yoga. The purpose of it is really, it is fitness to a degree. Um, but the purpose is to prime the body to be able to sit for long periods of meditation, contemplation and surrender. Um, to whatever the thing is you're surrendering to so that you can kind of quiet the mind. And so you move the body to be able to comfortably quiet the mind, because if the body hasn't moved much, you know, and this, this feeds into modern day fitness, where if one doesn't exercise, you know, sometimes you have elevated levels of stress. And so when you have a regular exercise routine, your stress is mitigated, you have better sleep, you know, all these other Mm. things. So that's kind of the same concept on in a much older, older practice. Uh, But it, it, you know, people are, people get tired from the yoga practice because it is, it can be rigorous depending on how you teach it. And it's funny that you mentioned that. So I, so I teach a lot to, uh, military. My husband's in the military. And that's actually how I got into practicing yoga more regularly and then eventually teaching it because I needed something to deal with my anxiety and, you know, stress over moving all over the place and, you know, starting a whole new thing that I wasn't familiar with. Like I, you know, we were in our early thirties when my husband joined the military, which is actually quite late. Most people join in their late teens. Uh, So I had already had a whole life established before I, you know, met my husband and we did this. So anyhow, I, I often find that, you know, first the military is very heavily male dominated and there is that mentality that, oh, yoga is just for chicks in stretchy pants, which I'm actually <laughs> wearing my stretchy pants. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it, and I understand because that's the way it's marketed these days. Yeah. Um, both for clothing brands and whatever. We like our stretchy pants. Yeah. They help us, you know, move and kick. And uh, they come in with this level of reticence and, and doubt you know, when they, when they come into practice, because I'm have, I have a captive audience. They have to do some sort of physical activity each morning for most platoons and they will enlist my help for their fun day. That's not strength training. And so I see that, like, look around, looking at each other, whatever. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm like, Oh, good. We're going to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> And so I see that and I read the room and I will, you know, I'll I'll tell them at at the outset, you get what you put into it. If you're going to do this half-assed, you're, you know, you're just going to go through the motions, then you're not going to get anything out of it. So I'm encouraging y'all to try and just do it. You don't have to, but I'm going to tell you right now that you're going to have a better experience with it if you actually make an attempt. Yeah. And so for lack of a better term, I will smoke them. 
and I just put them right through their paces and they're over there just like shaking and looking around like what the fuck is (laughs) happening right now and then at the end of it once they're done so through a typical yoga practice there's a warm-up you get into what we refer to as like the heat building where you're actually you know really going through your paces and then you kind of come back down on the other side of it cool down and you have your final pose which I prefer to refer to in the Sanskrit term which is shavasana in English, it's called corpse pose. Um, the intention is that with corpse pose, it's kind of the death of who you were before you got on your mat so that you can get up and be a new person and go forward with this new self. Um, but for my military population and just people by and large, I think corpse pose is kind of a little bit of a hard entrance to what the intention is. So we just rest, come back and they'll come out of it. And oftentimes it's the biggest, bulkiest guy who will come up and just say, I feel really good after that. Thank you so much. Like I did not expect that it was going to be that hard. I did not expect that I was going to feel that good afterwards. And I'm like, yeah, Mm. it's what you, it's what you make of it. So glad you tried. So you meant there are obviously different levels of of you can't just go in straight away and start doing the shapes that i've seen you paul there must be entry levels and and easier ways of doing it because again i'm i'm not the most supple of people so i can't imagine that i'd be able to like balance on one leg while bending down and all that kind of stuff so Mm -hmm. you must have to get or or do you do like you would do in a, a beginner's class and an intermediate's class as opposed to just having different kinds of levels in one class. So you can, it depends on the studios, the studios where I worked um, back in Virginia, we just brought, we had different, we called them intensity levels, but it was just basically like in the kind of broad spectrum intensity level that was, it's rigorous, but it's very pretty like evenly balanced. So you're not, if you do any sort of standing balance, it's going to be minimal and it's going to be very accessible and modifiable. Right. Uh, So the way that I would always teach is I would start out with the most basic way to get into it. And just like, okay, you're going to do this very, very easy, very balanced, both feet on the ground. You're not going to be, you know, taking a foot off the mat. And over the course of the hour or hour 15 of the class, we would get to a point where it's okay. You've, you've created that mind muscle connection a couple of times. You see how this is progressing. Now, if you feel good, maybe try taking your foot off the mat or try doing this thing. If you're not there, absolutely fine. Don't do it, but you know, we're all here. So, you know, don't feel like you have to. And one of the big things that I always make sure that I remind students of, and it's a little bit of a joke, but it's true is like, you're not more enlightened if you can do the thing that looks harder. That, right. that means, you know, that means nothing. It just means that you have more flexibility than the other person today. Yeah. Not even just in general, but just like in this moment. Right. Now, anybody listening will recognize that maybe you've got a slight accent that you're not um you're, you're not like british uh, but but you do but you you live here in england don't you i do yes so in regards to um anxiety 
I mean, mm. just moving house, I think, is one of the most anxiety-ridden things to do. To move house into another country mm-hmm. must be a whole different level. Um, and But again, like you say, I suppose that comes with the job that your husband has, doesn't it? It, it does, but I'll be honest, this, I had a much bigger, I wouldn't call it a meltdown, um, but I had a lot more anxiety coming here than I ever had moving within the States. And I think- Is that because there's no good Mexican food over here? Yeah. Is that what it is? Oh, God. <laughs> well, that's a big part of it. No. <laughs> No, it's, it's, um, God, how do I, it's, you know, I'll preface this by saying, usually I don't care what people think of me. However, I never want to offend people. No. And I just know, and I think I take on, I think I take on that whole representing your entire country, which is just absolutely like, I can't, and I won't, but I know that for most people, as soon as they hear the accent, they're, oh, American. Mm. I see how it is. <laughs> and I just don't like, I'm an introvert already, but having to speak with anybody local, it just terrified me because I'm like, oh my God, I just don't want anyone to automatically hate me because they hear my accent and they're like, oh, this fucker. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So it was, it was a lot. And and I feel bad for my husband because he was just like, he was all about it. Let's go pick up the car and like drive and do all this stuff. And I'm like death gripping on my side of the car, driving on the left-hand side of the road. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it it's, it's been, a, it's been a lot to process. I've gotten a lot better and I've gotten a lot more comfortable, but there is still that anxiety of just not wanting to seem like the ugly American while we're here. It's it's interesting you say that because I've always found if I ever hear anybody with an American accent, I automatically think that they're like the coolest people I know because just having an American accent is cool. I wouldn't think of it as anything like, oh, that horrible American. It just always seems to be just in my mind. I don't know whether it's because I'm a movie fan. So Mm. glamorous movies and movie stars mainly come from America and Hollywood and you know, yeah. when you're younger, you think that everybody that has an American accent comes from Hollywood and they live yeah. in a massive mansion with a swimming pool. And I still feel that. I was talking to um, our friend Robin uh, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of episodes ago and I was saying in my mind's eye, everybody that I know that's American live in this great big house with a swimming pool and don't work. They all, you know, they're always like housewives of, of whatever it's called. <laughs> and that's to me, in my mind's eye, is what every American does. But it's, that's not the case, you know. No, yeah. But I don't, I don't and again, that might work the other way around for Americans with, with Brits. I was going to say, yeah, that, that does, um, that, we definitely feel the same way I do. As you know, as soon as I hear um, an English accent or Scottish accent or something, I'm like, Tell me more. <laughs> uh, but I had like, I, I had a mini freak out in Tesco one day um, because my husband will just randomly, apropos of nothing, um, 
he will speak in a British accent just for fun. Right. I'm not going to try to mimic it because that's just. Oh, gonna I was going to ask you, what is your British nope. accent like? It's not going to have. It probably sounds something like Davy Jones from the Monkeys. Honestly. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as it's not but, Dick Van Dyke, that's fine. Oh, God, no. <laughs> or or Lin Manuel Miranda's version. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. it's. it's I, I would hope that it's not quite that bad. But um, he just, he had said something just kind of offhand while we were in Tesco. And I was like, could you please not do that here? I really, we just got here. We literally just got off the plane. Please don't do this. He's like, Oh my God, I forgot. Yeah. Like, oh, well, you don't think about us. Yeah. You don't think about it. I mean, I, the thing is I, I, I've never been able to do a good American accent. I've never, my, mine ends up sounding like a Chicago gangster is when I try and do an American accent. <laughs> it just sounds awful. I would never for one minute, as soon as I stepped on American soil, start thinking, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my <laughs> Chicago gangster because that's really going to make me happy with everybody else. It's yeah, dangerous. See? Yeah, I have exactly. this bottle of water, please. <laughs> you can do it so easily. Mine, I've really got to think about it. Oh, dear. So you're also, um, I'll say you're also a musician as well. I've seen you with your um, guitars and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Is that another way that helps you like unwind? Uh, or yes. One thing I find learning the guitar and if you can't play a certain chord, you can start getting very, very you know, gritted yeah. teeth and stuff like that. But it's also, it is quite a nice thing to, to do to unwind. Mm -hmm. It is. Uh, and it's kind of why I stick primarily to like the cowboy chords of late. Um, I do, I have a couple of electric guitars that I purchased because I love punk rock and I love like the heavier riffs and stuff, but I do find that um, trying to play those and solo and do all this other stuff is a little bit more challenging. I can get it and it's fun, but just, you know, Johnny Cash is mm. my favorite of all time and just strumming through some of his songs and getting that energy out is so helpful. Um, when I was a lot younger, I, I distinctly remember one time I, um, I was dating somebody and we we were never exclusive and I think we just kind of like there was a rift and we were no longer um we were no longer dating. And so I was living with my stepsister at the time and I just let her know I went over to her room and I was like, "Hey, I just need you to know I'm having a bad night. I'm going to turn on the radio and I'm just I I need to sing. I need to do something because some I there is something here in like just stuck and I need to just purge it. So if you hear what potentially sounds like cats dying, I apologize, <laughs> but I need to, I need to sing. And it just helps like that, just belting. Um, that is actually something that I miss about living in the States. Uh, whilst I do appreciate everything being walkable here in England, one of the things that I used to be able to do was just get in my car and drive and blast the radio and just belt my guts out and then come home and feel kind of okay. Yeah. It's, it is, it is um, therapeutic. I think sometimes I was over the last few weeks with, with having a bit of a dip. The one thing I've found is that sometimes music can help, mm -hmm. but then sometimes music can also hinder as well, especially if you pick the wrong song to listen to. Um, yeah, and and it, it's weird how it can knock you back, and just when you're feeling you're feeling sort of okay, you're on that mm -hmm. on that knife's edge of just 
feeling okay. You'll hear the wrong song. And it's a song that I, I'll love, but it's a song that has maybe a different meaning to it or is just a depressing song mm-hmm. that, just, that just tips you back into that, that depressive state. And I don't know, I don't really know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I mean, I think that by and large, I think that we are afraid of our feelings and we are, as a people, whether like, I don't, I guess I'll use british term like stiff upper lip type of thing like you know like ah suck it up and walk it off is what we would say in in the states like ah you're fine but i think that turning away from the less than pleasant feelings like it's one thing you it does us a bit of a disservice because if we refuse to acknowledge and just kind of let ourselves feel and know that like this is a stage i'm gonna be better but right now this is where i am i'm not going to stay here it's going to change um if we resist it and we really stress about being in that down space i think that it takes us longer to come out of the down space Mm. um i just you know you had talked about that and it reminded me of an instance that i had had uh my um so my mom passed from cancer in 2019 And actually that kind of ties back to fitness as well. But, uh, I was, I was in Virginia at the time. So we were just outside of Washington, DC, and I was driving down the beltway to come home. And I was listening to an interview with, uh, with Brandy Carlisle talking about a, an album that she had produced for Tanya Tucker. And it was a song called bring my flowers now. And they were asking Tanya Tucker about it. And she's like, well, it's basically about like, when I like, I don't want people to bring flowers after I'm dead. I want them to bring them to me now and do all and and like celebrate me now. Like, you know, what am I going to do with your love once I'm gone? That means nothing to me. Mm. Um, And I just remember being on the beltway, like bawling my eyes out. And I was like, I have to pull over. (laughs) I can't do this. Um, And it was, it was right at the time when I was getting ready to, I was getting all the things in place to fly home so that I can, you know, Oh God, you said we were going to cry. Oh God, don't (laughs) Maria. Oh, Oh. Um, but it was, it was, um, I was getting everything in place to fly home so that I could help my sister-in-law, my brother, take care of my mom until she did eventually pass yeah yeah and uh it was it was hard because my husband was deployed and so he was in a whole other country and I was having I didn't know how long I would be gone and then that song came on and I was like oh yeah (laughs) it it was rough it's like you say you look back on it now and it probably kind of helped a little bit but but at the time, it's the it's the song you didn't need to hear at that particular time, did you, I suppose? Yeah. And, you know, it just like, it blindsided me. Yeah. And I was just like, well, I wish I hadn't been driving down a busy <laughs> highway when I heard this song. <laughs> but the, the, to be honest, the, the, the sentiments behind that song, I've always said that I would love to have a like a pre-death funeral. Because mm-hmm. I would love to hear what people would like would say about me while I'm still here, as yeah. opposed to getting eulogies and and whatever 
when I can't hear them. I would, you know, it's that same thing, like faking your own death in it so you can go to your own funeral and hear what people yeah. would say about you. I always yeah. think, that, I think that's a lovely sentiment to have. I mean, it, it absolutely is because, you know, I, I've had this conversation before with others, but like, you know, we should appreciate the people that we have whilst they're still with us. Yeah. Like what's, what's the point of, and this also goes back to acknowledging other feelings that we have. It doesn't always have to be just the good, but we can recognize that perhaps some people should not be in our lives mm -hmm. and some people absolutely should be in our lives and letting them know because you know, again, tying back to mental health, like we never really know how much we mean to people if we don't ever say it. Mm. Like there's no weakness in professing appreciation, affection, or whatever the case may be for the people that we have around us. And it, and it just might well save somebody who's not feeling a certain type of way i think you're absolutely right i made a conscious effort over the last few years to concentrate on the people that i love and that i know love me as opposed to worrying about the people that don't particularly treat me nicely mm -hmm. um and i've i've found that to be so much more rewarding and the fact that i take my i take my energies to the people that i know are gonna um appreciate it and that I know love me back as opposed to people that you maybe spend years and years chasing, hoping to get that kind of affection and love from. And mm -hmm. I think it is so much better to do that because you can end up wasting half your life on people that don't really give a shit. Yeah, absolutely. Know? And like, and for what? Yeah. Like why, why, why do we do that to ourselves? Because we don't want to offend. No, because you, you know, can use that energy in so many more positive ways on people that it matters about. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, so where are you with your, I mean, would you, would you go out and, and perform live and, and sing no. with your guitar or is it is just a thing that you do in like in your room? It's just a thing that I do at home. Um, I think probably much to my husband's chagrin because I have like, <laughs> you know, it's like a thousand dollar Fender Telecaster nice. that he's just like it, uh, Dave Grohl is about to release. I we we suspect, you know, because there's photos of him playing like prototypes of um, his model Gibson guitar. And oh, so right. I suspect that Gibson's about to release another Dave Grohl issue. And I told him, I was like, I hope you know that we're buying that if it comes out. <laughs> and he's like, no more guitars if you get that. But I, you know, it's, it's, it's for me. Um, yeah. One of the things that my mom had said to me and, you know, we, we had a good relationship, but it was a tumultuous relationship. But one of the things that she said and has always kind of stuck with me is, you know, again, with like the, you can't take it with you. Um, you can't. No. So I, I tow the line between saving money because you don't know what's going to happen and you want to have enough to support yourself for a period of time until you get through a rough patch. Um, but at what point does it become restricting your enjoyment of life versus, you know, living a little? Yeah. And I would like to live a little, we don't have kids. I don't want kids. We don't have kids. We have pets. And you know, 
we are relatively comfortable. So every every now and then, and then if I want to enjoy something, then why the hell not? I completely agree. I completely agree. And it even even when you've like I've we've had so many kids and now we've got so many grandkids and there's there's time for that and there's time when you save for that and you mm-hmm. you get through it and they all become independent and then it's sort of like well this is our time now and yeah I, I totally agree we went to um Orlando a few years ago and I bought six lightsabers from Galaxy's Edge because <laughs> I, I I was only supposed to buy two and I got there and I thought I may never get here again and mm-hmm. I have saved up for this so I'm just going to fill my boots and you know yeah. and my wife my wife was brilliant about it she was like if you've got the money just you do what you want I don't care you know mm-hmm. and and it, it's it gets to the point where I get home and I think that was ridiculous I must have I don't know how much I've spent <laughs> that is just ridiculous but I completely agree it gets to a point where you think well why not why there's there's so much that you unless you're mega rich obviously where you can go Mm -hmm. off and say i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that i don't think i think it's so good for you to every once in a while spoil yourself and treat yourself and treat others and treat other Mm -hmm. members of family you know and i I think i can imagine that i mean i've never i've i have a one acoustic guitar that's all i've got but i can imagine that if you're into it acoustic guitars are like and looking at you are like tattoos once you buy one or once you get one tattoo that's yeah. it. You're constant. It's never just one guitar, is it? I know somebody else that I think has about seven or eight guitars. And every time they go on holiday, his wife is like, please don't buy another guitar, please. <laughs> and there's always a picture of them on social media in a guitar shop. And he's, he's like strumming a guitar. It's it. That is the way it is. And, and so my husband is in this this feeds, this explains some things about our dynamic, but my husband is by trade and education, um, very science-minded. You know, he, when he was in college, he was studying like organic chemistry and all that stuff. So his thing is like hypothesis, very rigid, very like, you know, whatever the case is. And um, I'll look at a guitar and like, well, that Gibson the Epiphone version has a J200. It's a jumbo. It's much more resonant, deeper tone. I would really like to have, you already have an acoustic. It's fine. They do the same thing. You can't tell the difference. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, okay, well, we're going to circle back to this because I'm not going to let this go, but you win this round, sir. Yeah. But see, now I, this, I don't know whether this sounds sexist, but I find like me and my wife always have arguments about, like 4k and hd and standard definition on a tv she'll see standard definition of 4k and she say i can't see any difference why are you spending extra money on 4k i say because can't you see the the, the beauty and the splendor and the colors and how you know, pin perfect everything it just looks exactly the same she says but you saying that it's obviously not a woman thing because you're saying the same kind of thing about a guitar there yeah well yeah and and to be fair um I agree with you on that because when I was recording content for online um, and I would record, I could tell a very distinct difference if I did not record in like HD or 4K. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this looks like trash. I need to re-record this. There you go then. I can I finally say to my wife, it's not, it's not a woman thing. I say it's not a woman thing. It's just no. you. It's just <laughs> you. Yeah. Uh, 
Right, now this is the question that I asked Loz back in episode three, I think it was. And I should be asking, I think this is the question that I'm going to ask everybody, I think at the end of each episode now. Um, If you could go back to like 10-year-old Maria, what would be the one bit of advice you'd give her? That's a really good question. There's so many bits of advice I would give her. Um, I, you know, honestly, I don't think I have one. I, I, I think that it would probably be do what makes you happy. Um, and the reason I say that is because, you know, I, by and large, I am doing what makes me happy. Um, but I was stuck in a space for a while where I was really like, I felt like I, um, I had to be a certain thing. Like I, I started college out of, out of high school. And I thought, well, this is what I have to do. And I fucking hated it. Right. It was miserable. Like my, my plan at the time was to be an art teacher because I, all manner of art. Um, I love, I did a lot of sculpting in school, a lot of sketching and stuff. I do prefer charcoal over like painting or color, but you know, those, that just, spoke to me in a way that I could just sit down, shut the world out and just sculpt or sketch. And it was my happy place. Um, And so I thought, well, how can I parlay this into a job? Well, I have to be an art teacher because studio artists don't make money. And my whole thing was like, you need to make money. And then I realized this is going to sound bitter. I don't like, I don't like kids. Um, this is why I don't want to have kids. It's not that I dislike them. I have a hard time creating a connection with them. Even when I was a kid, it was very, very difficult for me. I love my niece and nephew to death and they are the people that we spoil all the time, pay for my, my nephew's basketball, all of that. But I realized in that, in that space of pursuing education that I was going to be miserable because I was already miserable. And so I dropped it. I was like, I'm not going to incur debt because I'm pursuing something that makes no, that that I'm not enjoying. And then I guess I had like my first existential crisis at like 19, like, well, then what do I want? I have no idea. So I've spent the last however many years just bouncing around working for the sake of working, which is how I ended up in construction and right running a printing press for a newspaper. (laughs) I know how to drive a forklift, you know, and like just these random bits. Um, But my bills were paid. You know, the money was tight, but Mm. I I just, I just continued on that path. And I, you know, we don't, I'm not rich, but I'm also not in debt. No. And in the States, in the United States, that's huge. Mm. I don't have, you know, my husband has student loan debt and I don't. 
And so we are in a much more advantageous place than I think a lot of people our age. And, and so all those years where I was stressed and worrying about whether or not I was making the right decision, I'm, I'm pretty happy with where I've gone thus far. Yeah. I mean, there's a massive difference between doing what you have to do and doing what you want to do, especially, mm -hmm. I think, for your mental health. Um, mm -hmm. final, final piece of the same question, really. Um, what would you hope 75-year-old Maria would say to you if she came back and saw you now? Well, I would hope she would say the earth hasn't melted, <laughs> first and foremost. Uh, but after that, I, I would hope that she would say, you, you know, you did okay. Everything like, you know, you're, you're, I, I think that's it. Like you did okay. Like, um, that is a little bit of an underlying fear of mine. You know, most people who have children have, I guess, a built-in caregiver for later stages of life. And so that's the reason to have them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like <laughs> trying to think of all those all those kidneys that i could use if i needed them <laughs> but you know i think about that with with like my mom or even my grandmother's my grandmother passed in 2016 and my mom passed in 2019 and and i just like i think about what would happen if they didn't have those people around them mm. you know and and so i i i would hope that by the like i've just lived a life that i would be at least okay as i start to get into the that more frail space like that i never thought i would be at that point where i'm thinking about who's going to take care of me or my husband or or whatever the case may be but yeah. that is something that i do kind of worry about I'm kind of hoping that the 75 year, year old Maria will come back and say to you that your 10th collab album with Dave Grohl has just gone triple platinum. Well, I, listen, I was gonna say that 75 year old me came back and said, you and Dave Grohl are, were best friends. Yeah. but yeah. <laughs> You never know though, do you? You never know. You, know, you never, never know. know. Well, Maria, thank you for spending some time with me. It's always an absolute pleasure speaking to you. It really is. Likewise. Um, and and I'm sure we'll 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 get back together again and do another one of these. You'll come back on the top ten of anything podcast, I'm sure, in the new year. Because again, we love we love talking to you there as well. Uh before we say our proper goodbyes, I've got to get through this, all this gubbin stuff. If you want to get in touch, please email bigblackbearpod at gmail.com. Uh look on the show notes for Spotify, Apple, uh, Amazon Music, YouTube, Good Pods, social media. All the links are on the uh, the show notes as well. Uh, and if you have enjoyed the podcast, but you do feel you need some urgent help, then for the UK, call the Samaritans on 116123. In the USA, it's 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. Or the suicide hotline in the US, which is 988. And also come and check out the Top 10 of Anything podcast. The link is in the show notes. Um, do you have a website or anything for your um, uh, like fitness and stuff? Not, not at the moment. I think at at most, my Instagram is probably the easiest to find me. Okay, um, which is Maria Del Desierto. So Maria dot Del D E L dot 
Desierto, D-E-S-I-E-R-T-O. Okay, I can put the link in the show notes. People can then just click straight on it and they can see you in action, can't they? And some of the amazing positions you get into. (laughs) That's a weird (laughs) way to finish. (laughs) It keeps you sane and keeps you supple as well, I'm sure. That's right. That's right. Thank you very much again, Maria. You're an absolute delight. Likewise. Bless you. Uh, Bye, friends. (laughs) 